What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? The who dat, you know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network on, I'm sure, our listeners, uh, whether they love us or hate us or not. Of course, y'all are doing a podcast on April Fool's Day, you two fools. So yeah, that's probably appropriate. Uh, As I'm staring at Jeff, he's smiling on the Zoom call right now. But uh, of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder is where you can find our podcast. Still doing the dollar per month uh, for a m- very limited time only, you only have a couple more days to get in on this special. So, dollar per month uh, to get in on on the athletic, our podcast, all of our work, all of our work across every platform. It's incredible. We've said it a zillion times. Uh, so, go check that out. Theathletic.com/slash Duncan Holder. Or if you just want to get podcasts on your phone, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. I mean, we're all across all podcast platforms. Uh, and Jeff, look, we are entering April. It is really draft month, and we've gone through a couple of phases of free agency with the Saints. They've made some minor moves now to kind of alleviate some panic in the draft with some of these positions. Uh, but, Jeff, look, I still think the, the similar refrain uh, as far as with the Saints are concerned, uh, they still have to replenish a lot of their roster and have question marks across the board, but still they, they at least made a couple of moves to ge- alle- alleviate some of the hyperventilating that some people might be having. Yeah, didn't that what Mickey Loomis basically said? They were probably not going to be major players, so this is the kind of free agency I think Saints fans can expect, kind of a lower level, lower tier a roster kind of filler type veterans. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they – uh, you know, added a veteran cornerback at some point that might have a little more name recognition or maybe even a quarterback if they don't get one in the draft. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see anybody breaking the bank uh, in New Orleans. Let me just say this real quick, Larry, before we uh, get into more talk. I got a text 8.35 a.m. from a friend of mine who's a, a big Saints fan. Sean Payton agrees to multi-million dollar contract to be Dallas Cowboys coach. And he thought it was real. Asking me questions about it. I said, dude, check your calendar. And <laughs> I haven't heard back from him. I'm sure he's embarrassed. Uh, so I'm sure we're going to go through a lot of that today. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't think that's a rumor that we're going to be addressing anytime soon. Um, uh, unless all of a sudden Mike McCarthy's gone, which I don't think he is. Last I checked. And I'm pretty sure Sean Payton uh, is pretty comfortable with the Saints and really ready for a new adventure. And... And Jeff, it's been a little while since we've done a pod. Uh, we, we've been busy doing some work and uh, figured draft month would be the right time to do it. So, I mean, you, you mentioned quarterback, and look, I, I'm asked about it all the time. And we've heard from Jameis Winston on a, a media call with us locally. He's been on some other conference uh, podcasts nationally. And you can kind of see just in the way he's handling himself why the Saints would actually be enamored with giving Jameis Winston a shot. I know everything comes down to what can he do on the field, but I think a lot of people looked at Jameis and what he was, he's been saying publicly 
and see, maybe he's a changed guy being around Drew Brees. I mean, I'm not going to say he's slam dunk, but I definitely have a, a little bit of a different impression of Jameis after hearing him go through some of the media chats after signing this contract and why you would think the Saints uh, think he's, he's got a shot to, A, win the job, and B, maybe be successful with the Saints. Man, that's a great point. I think none of us really knew who Jameis Winston was until he got to New Orleans, so we were all just kind of studying him from afar, evaluating him uh, from his time in Florida at Florida State and with the Bucks, and you don't really get to see what the real person's like until they obviously get in the locker room here and become indoctrinated into this culture. And you're right, Larry. I mean, he he's saying all the right things. I mean, he sounds incredible. You can you can see why the Saints like him, why his teammates like him. But again, it, it just it's going to come down to. I mean, it's not about talk. It's about can you do it on the field? Uh, you can say you want to make the right decision, but how do you react in the moment uh, when the bullets are flying? You know, Peyton always compares the quarterback position to a fighter pilot. I think it's a really good analogy because um, you know you have to think quickly, you have to process quickly. And you have to make split-second decisions. And you can talk about wanting to uh, fly the, the jet properly, but uh, what's it like when you're in a firefight? And I, I think we're going to find out about Jameis Winston. But everything I'm hearing, I like. Uh, but, again, I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant because uh, I know it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it. Absolutely. And when you look at what's going on with the quarterbacks around the NFL draft process, I mean, we're beyond the – Russell Wilson trade talk. Who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson at this point? I mean, the Saints wouldn't even be in that, that sweepstakes from the beginning, but now they're probably thinking, uh, we're going to really back off and just let that thing alone, uh, given all of the potential uh, off-the-field troubles that he's dealing with right now. Uh, but you're looking at pro days right now, and everyone is – one week, it's Zach Wilson is the greatest thing in, in American history – then the next week, San Francisco trades up, and they're wanting Mac Jones, and people are thinking, oh, wow, Mac Jones, someone who people didn't even think would be a first-round pick going into this season, maybe a borderline one. Uh, now he's projected possibly in the top three. Uh, so you're having a lot of hard time with teams projecting these quarterbacks outside of Trevor Lawrence. Uh, even, you know, look, people think Zach Wilson, that's great. He's number two with the Jets. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense, A, why the Saints would want to go with Jameis, and B, why they might even back off uh, entirely off the quarterback class this year just because they might not have as much intel or they might not like them uh, as much as maybe some people might think. Yeah, I think this draft is going to be really fascinating. That trade was kind of a bombshell. Uh, and, and you're hearing more and more talk, Larry, about potentially five quarterbacks going in the first five picks, depending on – if the Atlanta Falcons, uh, what, what direction they go at number four. But it sounds all the world like San Francisco. I mean, let's face it, San Francisco traded up to get a quarterback. And it's funny because Mac Jones is the rumored guy. And I can remember, uh, I think it was Dane Brugler on our staff, one of his first mock drafts, he, he had Mac Jones slotted to the Saints at 28. And I mentioned it in a, in a social media post, and a bunch of Saints fans hated it. They all hated it. 
And I wanted to I wanted to ask your opinion on this, and I thought we might talk about this for a few minutes. And I, I'm really interested in talking to Sean Payton about it because now that he's in the quarterback business, I think he'll have a, a, a really compelling opinion. All this talk now about quarterbacks that, you know, the game's changed, you have to be able to move and all this, and that's a knock on on Mac Jones, obviously. It's a knock on, like, Cal Trask, that they're, not, they're kind of statues back there. And yet the quarterback that just won the Super Bowl, Tom Brady, is as big a statue as anybody. Now, I know he has years of experience and knows how to get rid of the ball quick and read defenses and all that, but I still think people are just discounting these quarterbacks like a Mac Jones, who might understand their limitations like Drew Brees does and just gets rid of the ball quickly and knows that he has to put in the extra preparation and study because he's not athletic and has to know where the ball's going. And I really think people are discounting guys like that. And I would love to hear what Sean Payton says about it because it seems like that is the talk for this draft with all these athletic mobile quarterbacks. Well, it's also just even the talk, Jeff, with even Taysom Hill being considered a potential starter for the Saints because he can move. And so it's almost like, does Sean Payton want to go into the evolution of having to have a mobile quarterback? Because Jameis Winston, he's not some Mr. Mobile guy. He did slim up, change his body, change his diet. He definitely looks different, but he's not Lamar Jackson back there. He's not Josh Allen back there. He is not a mover. So Sean Payton, even though, look, he's told you and me many times that he knows that he has to be adaptable depending on basically what's uh, out there at quarterback and, you know, when Drew Brees retires and this, that, and the other. And so right now what he has is still a pocket guy. And if Jameis and when Jameis, uh, you and me both assume, when he wins the job, it's going to be a more similar type of quarterback in the sense of Jameis Winston's not going to be pulling these like read option runs all the time. I mean, that's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, I think that for someone like Sean Payton, I think it would have to take the right combination of athleticism and accuracy. And this quarterback would have to have the total package for Sean Payton probably to change gears for his offense. Like, I don't think that someone like you would probably Trevor Lawrence might be it because Trevor Lawrence can run the ball like I feel like he would be the one guy that they would want in this draft I mean just because I don't think that someone like Zach Wilson's a mover and uh, I mean he's athletic but I don't think he's like a runner and Trey Lance what is he Uh, I don't think a lot of people know I mean Justin Fields he's a mover but uh, you know people still have question marks about his decision making and 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 skills but they like what upside he might have so i'm with you and this is the time jeff it's funny you and me talking about it uh, before going on i mean this would be the time of year we'd get intel about saints prospects quarterbacks because you'd see them at combines you'd see them at pro days you'd see them at the nfl owners meetings that's going on virtually now i mean we'd have an hour with sean payton on the record right now and we don't have that uh, and so it, it's 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 difficult to understand the mindset of where teams are going and specifically where the Saints are going and their thoughts on certain quarterbacks. I mean, last year is when I got the intel when I'm at the Combine that they were not in on Jordan Love and 
actually someone they might have even pondered was someone like Jake Fromm uh, as, a, as a later pick. But we don't necessarily have that right now. It's something that I miss about the offseason because you were able to kind of go out and, ha- you know, and talk to people and they let their guard down. And, you know, you, you're discreet with some of the info of where you're getting it from. But it, we don't exactly have that right now. Yeah, we haven't heard from Sean Payton since what after the season, I, you know, in a in a conference call setting. So um, he's gonna. I think uh, he's gonna be even more prone to playing his cards close to the vest this year because of the importance of this off season. Because he doesn't have Drew Brees. If there's a quarterback he likes beyond this, you know, this Fab Five supposedly. Uh, you know, if there's a second round or a third rounder that he has his eye on, I don't think we're going to find out about it this year. Uh, now, he might have told you or I in an off-the-record setting, but I don't. I think they're going to be extra careful when they're going out to some of these pro days or how they schedule it. I know. I noticed Peyton was at the TCU pro day. Uh, Jeff Ireland was in South Carolina, obviously, for J.C. Horn. I mean, they're probably dividing up. Uh, where they go uh, for certain reasons. Uh, but, uh, you know, between Mickey, Sean, and Jeff, I mean, they're going to be fanned out all over the country here in the next few weeks because there is no combine. And so that's going to be how they are going to evaluate these prospects in person. I saw they were, Mickey and Sean were both at Alabama's pro day. But I think they will be, if there's a guy they like, if it's a Cal Trask or somebody, hypothetically, I don't think we're going to know about it because I think, Peyton learned his lesson from that Patrick Mahomes thing where it all went, it went viral and him being at that pro day. And, um, you know, the chiefs obviously knew their interest in him and traded up ahead of him and, and got him. Not that the saints were targeting him, but uh, I, I think they learned their lesson from that. Well, I guess word got out that Sean Payton went and worked him out. And, you know, sometimes when Sean, when he likes a guy and uh, he, he could have, diarrhea of the mouth sometimes and and things can get out yes and things can get out in in that sense and so yeah I I just sense though that and Jeff we have to look at quarterbacks kind of within the division what are they going to be doing I mean because we assume the top three picks now are going to be quarterback Atlanta's at four are they going to take someone who they feel like could eventually replace Matt Ryan I think that's Part of the equation. What's Carolina going to do? I mean, they've been rumored to be involved in Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, they would certainly want a quarterback, but one of them might not even fall to eight at this point. And so, where do they go? So, when you add all that up, the Saints are trying to figure out. Well, do we really love one of these quarterbacks? And uh, to me, you know, they're not going to be in play for any of the five. So we'd have to kind of zero in our focus on the, the, the Trasks of the world, Davis Mills from Stanford. Uh, so the guys who, they're not coming in and winning a starting job right now. Like, that, that's not the point. So I, I feel like, in that sense, you know, I was a lot higher on them taking a quarterback a few months ago before the, the crazy draft, uh, draft trade derby happened. Now I'm kind of scaling back thinking they don't necessarily have to draft a guy this year, I mean, they think they have Trevor Simeon on the roster. I mean, he's a just a veteran backup who, again, I, I love to bring this up, once beat the Saints in 2016. <laughs> no, just, don't remember that, uh, uh, or don't forget that. But still, uh, I think that 
they're comfortable going forward with what they have this year. And then you reevaluate depending on how this year goes, because then someone like Russell Wilson could be more open or the Seahawks might be more open to trading someone like him. And we've seen this quarterback carousel these last couple of off seasons go kooky. I mean, the Saints almost had Tom Brady, uh, Russell Wilson named the Saints to go be traded to. So you do a one-year thing to see what Jameis can do, reevaluate, and if you got to blow it up, you blow it up. But if you don't and Jameis does well, then you feel comfortable going forward with him. I agree 100%. And, you know, Peter King made a great point in his column this week, and I think I was guilty of it on one of our earlier podcasts by looking ahead at the quarterback draft class for 2022 and saying it didn't look like there was much in that class. And he, he made a great point. A year before Joe, Joe Burrow's last season at LSU, no one was projecting him to be the number one pick in the draft. Baker Mayfield, the same way. Yes. Same thing. And then this year, Luke Wilson, I mean, who'd heard of him going into his senior year at uh, at BYU? So someone's going to Zach Wilson, not Luke Wilson, the actor. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Zach, sorry. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like, someone's going to emerge. Maybe, maybe more than one player will emerge in the draft. Uh, so... I think they're all in on these two guys and they want to find out if uh, either one of them can be the guy. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to see it play out. And then if, if it doesn't work out, they get in the quarterback business next year. But I will say this. One thing I do think that's changed since the last time maybe we potted was that, you know, their draft class now has expanded exponentially. I mean, they do have a lot of picks and they do have a little bit of a luxury now because, uh, they've got more than we, we anticipated. Well, we knew they would get some compensatory picks, but I guess they got a little more flexibility is what I'm getting at. They could move around, go get a guy. We know that's how they like to operate. So if there is one of these second, third round targets they like, uh, I don't think, have any doubt they'll go get him, and they have the ammo now to kind of make it happen. Well, Debbie Downer here, the last time they had a ton of picks and they drafted a quarterback, it was Garrett Grayson. I so knew that, that was, was uh Yeah. You know me. I love I love bringing up a old draft horror. Double G. Uh, exactly. Double G. I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to him as double G. How many oh, just... how many like OTA training camps did you and I cover where we had to read not from ourselves but from from somewhere around the internet on Garrett Grayson starting to look better. He's looking good. Remember that stuff just drives me bizarre. That's, that's painful because he's never he never looked good poor Garrett I mean nice guy yeah I've talked to him maybe once or twice but sorry he there's a reason why he's not in the league uh so yeah that one uh went but then you look two years later and they have a bunch of third round picks and it turns into Alvin Kamara Alex Anzalone Trey Hendrickson so obviously they struck it pretty well there and then a second round pick with Marcus Williams and then two ones with Marshawn Lattimore and with Ryan Ramchek well just spur of the moment, I know we were, we didn't even think about talking about this, but we have not potted since the, uh, the Marshawn Lattimore arrest. And that has been a center point in the offseason in terms of cornerback being a need because Janoris Jenkins is out. And, Jeff, uh, how much do you think this affects Marshawn Lattimore going forward i mean this is not an i mean it's never an optimal time to be in possession of a stolen gun allegedly but he does not have a long-term deal right now and i think before that the saints were probably feeling 
all right, we're going to get a deal done at some point. I mean, this has to give them some hesitation, right? Yeah, look, it, it obviously was horrible timing and horrible judgment on his part, no matter what his side of the story is. I mean, you just can't you can't allow something like that to happen in, in his position. And uh, I don't think it'll affect any of the long-term plans with him, but I think he's going to be staring at some kind of suspension from the league, personal conduct policy, you know, it, he's going to miss some games. I don't think there's any doubt whether the charges get dropped or not. Uh, they, they certainly can still impose that. So it's obviously disappointing and it's bad timing for him trying to get a long-term deal. But I think the Saints know him well enough and, and look, they've got security department, Danny Lawless's security director will be all over investigating what happened that night and um, finding out the real story. I'm sure they've already talked to Lattimore about it. Uh, so they'll get to the bottom of it, but uh, you just have to question Lattimore's judgment there. And, um, you know, at a time when the Saints are already missing their other starting corner, Janoris Jenkins, they moved on from him. And now you have this incident with their, their number one corner. I think it places even a, a bigger premium on addressing that position in the draft. Yeah, in my mailbag, it was the primary question, uh, you know, how does this affect Marshawn Lattimore? And I think they do hold off and see what happens in the legal system. And, and they don't have to rush to sign him at right. this point. I mean, they have worked their cap to make his current $10-plus million number work. So there's no rush to actually get his deal done or to get Ryan Ramchick's deal done or to get a long-term extension from Marcus Williams right now. There's no rush that has to happen. I'm sure they'd like to have one or two of those before the season starts, uh, but there's no rush. But in the sense that I've never known, and I, I wrote about comparing the last major arrest of a guy who was a, a more high-profile player on the team, the last guy this that happened to was Junior Gallette. And that was something to where he had become a cancer in the locker room. He'd been arrested. Then, I mean, you remember when I broke the story on the, the beach brawl, uh, swinging the belt, striking a, a woman and this, that, and the other with the belt. And then all of a sudden, before training camp, he's cut. And they eat all that money. I don't think Lattimore is this locker room headache. So I think they are... Gonna, they're definitely going to take their time with this. I don't think I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, I, you know, and I think I agree with you. I think he's, they're going to get a long-term deal done with him. So I think in that sense, it's different. It's not apples to apples because I think Gillette was more of an overall problem, and Lattimore, this is not he has not been an overall problem at all from what I gather. Yeah, I, I think it's an isolated incident. I really do. He doesn't have any issues off the field. But his play has not been all that great either. So, like, uh, he, his play, if you just look at the analytics sites like Pro Football Focus, uh, you know, we, you and I both have some questions sometimes about their grading. But he's gone down every year. I mean, his best year in the NFL was his rookie year. And he's, and he's gotten a little worse every year. And I think the inconsistency out of his play is what is a little disappointing. I mean, he rises up with the big matchups like the Mike Evans matchups and you can see the ability it's a guy obviously matches up well uh, with, but then there's other games that just are head scratchers where he just is kind of a no show and gets exploited. So, I mean, I'm sure Mickey Loomis and, and the rest of the brain trust is factoring all those things in to the equation. But the fact is he's still the best cornerback the saints have had in a long time. And those guys are hard 
to find in it. And in a division where you got Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, Julio Jones, you know, just go down the list. Uh, he's a vital part of their plans going forward. He's actually one of the best they've ever had, period, in the franchise history. And that just kind of goes to show you how little success they've actually had overall at corner uh, when you look at numbers and this, that, and the other. And it's so, yeah, it's uh, he, he to me is a top 10 corner in the league. And so, but they don't want to pay him top three money. So I think that's something they've got to juggle uh, in, in terms of that. And so, him aside, you know we're going to be staring at cornerback at, in the draft. I mean, they might sign a veteran, and here's what I think maybe they're they're thinking too. They might sign a veteran after the draft. Yep. A la what they did with Jameis Winston. So last year when they signed him after the draft. So, but I think in the draft, cornerback uh, has a lot of potential. And what's good about this <coughs> cornerback class. And, Jeff, I'm staring down Dane Brugler's top 100 now, so you might as well get it ready and, and call it up on your computer, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Let's do it. They are, they are plentiful. Like they're, they're not like top five picks as corner, but they're, they're, they have good corners throughout rounds one and two for sure. So the Saints, I feel like they do not have to necessarily reach on a corner unless they are in love with someone like Patrick Sertan or in love with someone like J.C. Horn because I feel like they'll go one, two, uh, maybe in the top 15. But there are a lot of options later in round one if you want to stay put it at 28 or even in round, late in round two when they pick. Uh, I think they've got some viable pieces uh, that they can certainly go look for at, at corner, Jeff. Well, you know, listening to Dane's podcast the other day, uh, he talked about this exact uh, subject. He said there's a group of corners that grade out in round two. Uh, he said there's a, they're all about the same grade, but each one of them, he said, has a something about their game that makes them slip down to the, to the second round grade. He said, but they're very good players, and I wouldn't surprise me to see them address it in the second round and kind of just fall in line like they always do with top player on the board in round one and not reach. Now, if that player ends up being a corner, I think they would definitely take him. But we just don't know when the Saints drafting so low in the first round, what's going to transpire ahead of them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them address it in round two because the, the depth at that position uh, in this draft plays out kind of well for them to get a good player uh, in, in the second round. Yeah, and I'll just go through some of the names here at corner, and I'm sure we'll do this uh, because we we've done some of the mock, like mock drafts uh, on our pods, and I'm sure we'll do one, uh, like a mock draft simulator uh, with you and me, like we did last year leading up to the draft. But look, some of the names that are kind of drifting into the back half of the first round, uh, someone like Greg Newsom from Northwestern, uh, a guy that's kind of falling, and it's more injury related than anything else is Caleb Farley uh, from Virginia Tech. Our, our own Dane Brugler has him at 29 on his big board. And at one point, he had him as his top corner in the draft, uh, but he's had a recent back procedure. And so that's – people are unsure of where he's going to go in the draft. So uh, if the Saints like him medically and he falls, I mean, he's, he'd probably be someone they could feel really comfortable scooping up but I mean when you go through some of these you have Elijah Molden from Washington Dan Brugler has him at 35 
you go through some of these. I know Georgia has two cornerbacks, uh, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell. Uh, you look at Asante Samuel Jr., he's at 45 on Dean's list. Uh, and then the, the two corners I mentioned from Georgia, they're 52 and 55. And then you have uh, Ifatu Melifonwu, his, his brother, uh, I think it was Obi Melifonwu, was drafted a couple years ago. Uh, he's at 58. Calvin Joseph's at 54. So, Jeff, you're right. There's this cluster that they all have some good things, but they all have some some flaws. And so I think it's going to be up to the Saints to kind of pick it out. But you're right. I think that strategy of best guy that might fit what they want to do in round one, and then you probably have your pick of corners in round two if you want to do it. And people also need to remember, Jeff, uh, the last time the Saints, I can recall, took a corner in round two, uh, well, the last two times, uh, one of them was Tracy Porter, and he started immediately, and one of them was Stanley Jean Baptiste, and he was god-awful. So, round two still no guarantee, but you can still find a starter right away in round two a corner if it pans out that way. What do you think Saints fans would think about Elijah Molden, the son of Alex Molden, who was purportedly, you know, I, I didn't cover the team back then, but a lot of people thought he was a big bust when the Saints took him. I think they took him at number 11 in 1996 and never quite never quite lived up to the expectations of that draft slide. I wonder if Saints fans would be up for that kind of legacy draft process. Just don't take him. They'd rather the J.C. Horn legacy, A, I'm sure, first. That's a good point. But B... But B Man, you, you you pivoted on a story, and we didn't. We're not, we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about it. But uh, in my ultimate uh, Louisiana draft that I put up this morning on the Athletic, and I did it uh, professional players that played on uh, any pro team in, in Louisiana or was drafted from a Louisiana college at that certain draft slot. So I'll give it away. Like Shaquille O'Neal was number one, uh, you know, and so he's going against George Rogers and Joe Burrow and Jamarcus Willie, uh, Russell, people like that, Simone Augustus. And but, Zion doesn't have enough experience to rival Shaq. I yet. mean, well, Anthony Davis might have been the closest one to rival Shaq, actually. Right. So, but but still, you you mentioned pick number eleven. Oh my gosh, Alex Molden, Sean Knight, Ugh. Russell Erksleben. I mean, just eliminate the eleventh pick overall <laughs> from from the history of mankind. Even though that's where Marshawn Lattimore was taken, but the rest <laughs> of it, just wipe it off your memory. It's awful. And I was stunned, Larry, stunned that you didn't put your boy Reggie number two. I was was taken aback by that. I I was surprised. It hurt my soul really hard not to do that. Uh, And just teaser, it's a a really fun story. I did a lot of research on it. It's a really fun read just from draft season, a little change up. Uh, But, yeah, number two, I was about to, and then as I'm doing the research, I'm like, Oh, that old Bob Pettit. I guess I got to put him at number two. <laughs> you made a great point, though, in your in your piece, and we won't give it all away because we want everybody to read it. But for a football state, Louisiana has a lot of top basketball players. It's amazing how well represented they are on that list. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's uh, you know the same, uh, people drafting them. I mean, like we just mentioned. I don't even have Anthony Davis or Zion Williamson on there because Shaquille O'Neal beat them out. I mean, so, you know, it is it is amazing uh, to go back and look. And I got to give a shout out to, say, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. I went and looked at all uh, a lot of those uh, profiles, those who made it. That was a big uh, asset 
in, in doing that, but still, it, no, it's a fun read, <clears throat> and uh, and yeah, but so it, it's funny. We Elijah Molden, you you have you have pivoted us off. I know, I'm sorry <laughs> onto this, but now look, he's like, he's a borderline first round guy, and I, I think that some people though would would uh, I don't think a lot of old Alex Molden jerseys would be recycled if they did it. So uh, it, he, a lot of people would have to buy new Elijah Molden jerseys if they were able to get them. Hey, all right. So let's pivot one last time. I, I want, I want, before we wrap up here, this would normally be the time we'd be at the combine. One of us, or maybe, you know, it's been a while since both of us have been up there, but uh, what, what do you in particular uh, what's your fondest memory of covering the combine? What do you uh, miss about it, uh, if you, anything at all? Uh, and what do you um, look forward to covering in the, in the future? What I miss about it is that everyone is there and you get, you know, you look, you're, it's a social gathering outside of the workouts. And so you're able to talk with people, coaches, scouts, and not just with the Saints, other teams, and, you know, because coaches and people come and go. And so you still have relationships with them and things like that. Like, I bet you Terry Fontenot would feel far more comfortable talking to us now since we don't cover him anymore. Uh, and so it's it's funny in that sense. Uh, but uh, candidly, I don't miss – having to stay out till 4 a.m. and wake up and be hung over because you you having to go out and <laughs> and and have cocktails and try to basically siphon off information all night long for like five days straight. So, you know, it's a grind in that sense, but uh, it's also, though, um, far a, a big-time information uh, superhighway. Uh, but, but, Jeff, look, you know, that's actually at the end of February. At the end of March, my favorite event – is the NFL owners meetings. Oh yeah. Like that to me is you get all everyone there and it's people usually just stay at the hotel and you just go around and it's, I, I feel like that is a more laxed scenario where people are right in your face and you're able to talk with them. And it, I've always enjoyed that event more than any of the combine stuff. I, I think that is much more laid back because of a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, there's not a lot of pressure on the coaches. They're not working a, a ton of hours at that thing. They're kind of just along for the ride. They've got some competition committee meetings and things like that. Whereas at the combine, I mean, they're kind of grinding all day. Uh, so they're more relaxed. And the other thing is it's always at the owners' meetings. Let's let's think about it. It's NFL owners. They're billionaires. So they stay at the nicest resorts in the country. I mean, we're talking like the Breakers and Palm Beach or the uh, what, what's the one in Scottsdale? Where Biltmore in Phoenix. Yeah, the Biltmore. What are you in Phoenix? I mean, these are like elite hotels. So, getting through what we talked, about, uh, getting to the point of what you and I talked about before we went on air, the combine has just become a free for all. It's like it's like a a rat race. There's so many of these draft blogs and stuff out there. It's just become almost untenable trying to cover it. Uh, it was I longed for the good old days when it was just kind of a, a pack of regular NFL beat reporters and some TV people there. Now there's all these draft nicks and they're asking all these stupid questions about, you know, 40 times and, and just all this kind of mundane, trivial stuff. Uh, whereas at the owners meetings, it's pretty much the NFL media at large 
longtime reporters. First of all, they, they, they're the only ones that can kind of afford the rooms at, at these places. So it, it, it whittles out a lot of the chaff, if you will, in the media core. And, and I think that makes the people we want to talk to more comfortable because they know us and they trust us. So you get time with coaches and, and, um, and executives uh, that might be looking over their shoulder in the lobby uh, of, of an Indianapolis hotel when they run into you because they're worried that a bunch of these you know, draft nerds are going to come up and interlope. Right. It's a different setting. And I don't know about you, but even if I'm going to owners' meetings, I'm not staying at the Ritz, Jeff. I know you. Jeff Duncan gets his own budget. I'm staying at, like, the Residence Inn still. Well, so... no. I, last time we were there, we all stayed. <laughs> like, we were in Phoenix, right? We were all in Marriott's outside of the Biltmore. Yes, yes. But I have before. <laughs> I have before stayed at that Biltmore back when it was more affordable. And let me just say before we sign off, the greatest boondoggle of my entire journalism career was the Maui owners' meetings where I was in Maui. And not only were, were the owners' meetings in Maui, but they're at the Ritz-Carlton in Maui. So we were not only in one of the greatest destination locations in the world, but we were in a, a, one of the best hotels in the world. I'll never forget that owners' meeting. It was the biggest uh, you know, lark I've ever had in my journalism career uh, covering those meetings. And I remember Jim Hazlitt, uh, at those meetings. I remember this, Larry, being down by the pool uh, with Jim Hazlitt and Rita Benson LeBlanc drinking like Mai Tais sitting around the pool uh, back in the days when everything was kumbaya in the organization. That sounds about right that you would run into some sort of boondoggle like that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, so that, uh, look, that is what I miss. And hopefully by time next, because, I mean, they're making rule changes and they're doing their owners meeting virtually right now. And so it's a... Uh, and you, you you get an hour on the record with the coaches uh, every year, so we we, uh, we missed that this year. Hopefully, we will get it back next year, just so you and me could go travel and figure it out like we did. Uh, what was it? Two years ago, I think we both traveled. Yeah. That was a great yeah. one. That was a good owners' meeting. We had a good time yes. at the at the Biltmore. And I, me- I remember the thing that stood out to me, other than than our time with uh, Peyton and the rest of the Saints executives, was I ran into Doug Peterson down in the like the lobby bar. And I had not seen Doug Peterson since I covered him at the Monroe News Star, and he was the quarterback. <laughs> and we sat and talked for like an hour, and it was a blast. That's a good example of what we're talking about. You know, you just you run into people. Next thing you know, you're in a conversation. And uh, we had all these long talks about Monroe, Louisiana, and you know he's still got a house there. Those are the kind of fun things you miss about the owners' meetings because everybody's relaxed. Um, and they're always just in great settings. I mean, that, that setup they had at the Biltmore out in the, 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 the party that night was just awesome outside. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something. Yeah, we're talking about all the perks we get. So, hey, uh, uh, journalists say sometimes hey. we have to do some hard work. So, uh, but sometimes we, hey, we can pull back the curtain. We definitely do work, but we could pull back the curtain. But that's a lot of those scenarios when people are relaxed, look, you'll get good information. I mean, so that's – you're not trying to just needle, needle, needle. You get good information because, you know, they've, they've known you for a long time. You and me, we're all grizzled veterans. I mean, I'm about to go into year 16 of covering this team. Wow. This is like, And I'm only 41 years old. I don't feel like I'm that old. But 16 years covering this team is a long time. You, you know, you've covered them since before, uh, before like, Tom Dempsey was even born. So, hey, you know. Alex Molden was, like, still in the womb when I was covering this, this team. <laughs> but I love that you mentioned diarrhea in the mouth and Peyton because he can't help himself at those type of events. 
you just he just can't help himself. He and so you see when things come out, and what I think's funny is fans now, and I know we got to wrap up, but fans do not believe Sean Payton at face value. They 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 think he's way more cagey than he is. So when he says these things, lots of times everybody's like, oh, he's he's putting up some kind of smoke screen. No, he's not. <laughs> he can't help himself when, when he says some of these things, and and people have somehow talked themselves into believing he's this sophisticated savant with the media and always pulling the wool over everybody's eyes when actually he's just probably had a few too many drinks and told, told a reporter something he shouldn't have. He loves to hold court at those things. Cause well, he's the senior coach outside of Belichick. Yeah. It's like him, Mike Tomlin. And then he's got, I remember one owner's meetings where it was him, Dennis Allen and Doug Marone. And they're all huddled up because they were all head coaches and it's, Oh yeah. And then you kind of, I just I I just go sit and interrupt and then I just they let me join in the conversation so it's a it's right. it's a fun it's a fun thing but uh, hopefully we get it back next year so uh, all right enough of us rambling about fun times covering the NFL even though sometimes it can be fun sometimes it could be work but uh, hey that's what we're here for so that's gonna wrap up this edition of the Dunk and Holder podcast again theathletic.com slash Dunk and Holder short time only dollar per month that deal is going to expire very soon so. Uh, you can jump on and subscribe there or podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, jump on there and subscribe to the podcast. So we will do a regular podcast the rest of this month, and I'm sure throughout much of the next couple of months just because things are going to be moving. So yeah, I know we've kind of been sporadic here or there, but uh, but no, now things are going to get moving. So we're going to be doing a podcast regularly each week, and sometimes it could be twice a week, depends on what's going on. So Uh, be on the lookout. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us here on the Duncan Holder Podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network.